This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, David Amber stops by from uh, Monday Night Hockey. Brand new program this evening. It kicks off alongside Cassie Campbell, Pascal Hanson Carter, and Keith Yandel. Yes, Keith Yandel has uh, landed here at Sportsnet. Looking forward to that one. Uh, it's Maple Leafs and the Arizona Coyotes. It is also the Toronto, the, uh, the, Toronto, the Montreal Canadiens and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, also tonight on Sportsnet Pacific, 7 o'clock Eastern, you can see the Vancouver Canucks look to pick up a win as Bruce Boudreaux faces off against one of his former teams, the Washington Capitals. Meanwhile, quick note, uh, we are just talking with Elliot uh, about the Philadelphia Flyers. So I mentioned they've called up Belpito. They've also called up Zach McEwen from Lehigh Valley. Rasmus Vistelainen, as we mentioned, placed on injured reserve and Cam Atkinson will not travel with the Philadelphia Flyers on their road trip. Uh, okay, as more information about tonight's nine-game universe uh, become apparent, uh, we'll share it with you here on the program. Meanwhile, one of the games we're watching tonight, the Winnipeg Jets, who are a perfect 1-0. Uh, face off against the Dallas, tonight, Dallas Stars tonight. Dallas looks really good. Pete DeBoer has this team humming. Uh, this should be a good one. Uh, pleased to be joined now by Ken Weeb, who covers the Jets for us here at Sportsnet. Ken, how are you today? Jeff, uh, good afternoon. I'm doing excellent. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be with you from American Airlines Center. Pucks in the background. Just had a quick chat with Pete DeBoer and a couple of the stars uh, reminiscing about their time with Rick Bonus. Uh, should be a fun filter tonight. Uh, quite an impact Mason Marchman's made right out of the gate for, for the stars after signing this uh, offseason. And everybody's cheering for him, Ken. Like, there are some players at the beginning of the season that even if you're not a fan of the team, even if you're not a fan of the organization, you can still cheer for individual players. I think it's safe to say that everybody in the NHL is cheering for Mason Marchman. I'll never forget that feeling when I walked into the Bell Center day one of the draft in July, and uh, some of them came up to me and said, did you hear about Mushy, his dad, Brian Marchment? And I said, no. I said, it's it's not good. He passed away early this morning. And I just remember just being shocked. And I can only imagine what the, the family has gone through all summer long as well. I lost a parent when I was really young. So uh, I know what it feels like. Um, but I think safe to say, Ken, everybody in the NHL, players, coaches, managers, media fans, everybody is cheering for that guy, Mason Marchment. Yeah, bang on. And uh, I'm in the same club as you, Jeff. It's a lousy club to be part of, but it's got an incredible support network, yeah. uh, especially across the hockey world. So, yeah, I mean, even too, I mean, never mind the fact that all the tributes that were pouring out throughout uh, that weekend at the Bell Center. And then you have Marchman score one of the prettiest goals of the season right out of the gate in his first game going end to end. And yeah. Oh, by the way, toe dragging a Norris candidate. And Roman Yossi, I mean, uh, looks like he's found a really nice home here right out of the gate. And it's interesting. You know, I was talking to Jim Yellen and some of the staff earlier. I mean, Mason Marchman's the kind of power forward that every team wishes they had one of, right? So, um, you know, good to see yeah. him get off to a good start. And, yeah, I mean, hopefully hockey can be a bit of a refuge and a place where he feels comfortable after going through that terrible tragedy. Uh, let me ask you about Rick Bonus. Uh, was not behind the bench. Uh, tested positive for COVID. How's Bones? It sounds like there's some improvement there for Rick. Uh, I think the hope is that maybe Good. he might be able to make it in time uh, for the game against the Colorado Avalanche uh, at the earliest. But uh, just sort of see how the next day or two goes. And Matt Clint gets uh, will play the Avalanche Wednesday and then Thursday at Vegas. So, uh, as you know, a man that passionate, as soon as he can get back behind the bench, he will. Uh, Sounded like it sure. hit him pretty hard early. It was the first time that he had COVID, but it uh, sounds like he's feeling better. So that's good news for, for him and obviously for the Jets as well. Uh, you know, Scott O'Neill was one of the finalists for the job, not not the circumstances he was looking for, uh, getting behind the bench or the head coach, uh, running the bench. But, I mean, obviously, too, it's a special it, – to me, it was really interesting, Jeff. I know that you watched the Howard Chuck statue ceremony and everything. The, the fact that Mark uh, Scheifele figured so prominently in the game and – and for Scott to, to run the bench in his adopted home and a place that's so special for him uh, seemed like a little you know, fitting may not be a, you know, a, an apt word, but it, it probably wasn't an accident that those guys had, had a hand in, in that first mm-hmm. game victory for the Jets this year. 
Yeah, this is a this is a big week for Winnipeg early. So it's Dallas tonight. You mentioned Colorado and Vegas back to back, and then the Maple Leafs uh, on Hockey Night on Saturday. This is a this is a big week. But let, let me rewind to Friday. So I, I go into this when I say, okay, so the Rangers look great. Like the Rangers going into Friday look fantastic. You know, is fatigue an issue going into it? Maybe. How did you see Winnipeg's four to one victory on Friday against the Rangers? Sure, Jeff. Really good first, really good third. Uh, middle frame, not <laughs> being that suboptimal range. Got yeah. an outshot, 21-7. Uh, all the zone time was in favor of the Rangers. I mean, they got a great hockey team, man. For a lot of people that thought uh, it was just a one and done because of the goaltending, boy, they got some nice skill. Trocek's going to fit in really well there. Uh, and you know what? Yeah, the Jets were fortunate. They faced Halak instead of Shesterkin. Sure, Halak was very good. But at the other end, Connor Hellebuck just vintage form with the 40 saves. Special teams were solid for the Jets, and I thought, you know, the fact that they were off for a full week after their last preseason game probably didn't help them, but all in all, it was a pretty good effort. They had to clean up a lot of things in the middle period, maybe, but overall, they skated well, and the big thing is fuck management when you play a team like the Rangers. It's so good in transition, so uh, I would say it was a good foundational win for them, but, you know, they don't want to be giving up 40 every night, but I would say that, you know, high dangers were pretty even at 5-5, and and if it was, you know, 13-11, so I, I don't think it was the Jets were hanging on for dear life other than, you know, the second period that kind of got away from them. But overall, their structure was pretty sound uh, and their, their big guns came to play and, and produced. And one thing we haven't seen from the Jets, a fourth line contribution, Sam Gagne delivering the game winner. You know, there wouldn't have been a lot of times in the last few years that the fourth line was even on the ice in the tie game in the last five minutes, let alone have a chance to deliver the game winner. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of Sam Gagne. I, I got a lot of time for him, and he was, you know, about this close uh, before he got a sort of second NHL life with the Columbus Blue Jackets and that power. I mean, that that power play that Columbus had that Sam figured so prominently in. I mean, that probably saved and extended Sam Gagne's career because after the Philly situation, we all thought, well, that might be it for Sam Gagne. And he just continues to get contract after contract as teams look for, you know, for, 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 you know, respectable veterans to put in the lineup. What's the expectation for, for Sam Gagne this year in, in Winnipeg? Yeah, it's interesting, Jeff. I mean, uh, he had a couple of just eye-popping passes on the power play. One to Nikolai Ehlers, a no-look crossbody, where Ehlers had such a wide-open, gaping net that it looked like he might miss it because he was so surprised to have the whole uh, whole <laughs> net wide open. But uh, Sam's done a nice job here fitting in. I mean, he's such a hard worker, and he's such a good person, right? You talk to anybody around the NHL, hard to fa- find a bad word about him. Anybody who can resurrect their career not once but twice, having to go down to the minors two separate times where... You know, some, if you don't love the game, it's hard to battle through that uh, when you've been a guy who jumped right yep. into the league and had such an impact. I mean, uh, he's done a nice job. I mean, he's starting on the fourth line. He's a guy that can uh, you know, play a similar role to what Matthew Perot used to for the Jets. We used to call him the human jumper table. If the line needed a, bu- a bump, you give Sam a chance. And he's going to figure prominently on that uh, you know, second power play unit here. And he's just such a nice resource for a guy like David Gustafson breaking into the league as a full-timer now for the first time. Uh, to have, yeah. and then kind of rounding out that line, that Sacramento line, and a guy not a lot of people know of, but had a cup of coffee with the Carolina Hurricanes a few years ago, spent three years, uh, you know, one, two years in the KHL, one in Liga. Um, you know, really hardworking guy, kills some penalties, uh, physical, got some hands. I mean, I think Sam's a really nice kid here, you know, one of, kind of one of those under-the-radar signings, you know. You wonder if a guy's going to be in the league. He's, he's so close to a 1,000 games now, just 32 more. Uh, very well deserving of a guy and he's going to hit that mark this year because he's earned it. You know, I, uh, I, I got to tell you, I love the thought of a Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers line. To me, that says every time they're out there, something is going to happen. Agree, disagree? Oh, totally agree. I mean, this is a line that is incredibly dynamic and electrifying, Jeff. I mean, and it's interesting, their skill sets are very similar, right? you got three guys that can skate like the wind. Uh, you have, you know, Ehlers, more of an east-west player. Kyle Connor, straight-line player. Shifley loves to handle the puck and, and keep it on his stick. So they're excellent in transition. But the one thing we've also seen with them, they're, they can be really good in zone, and they can give uh, defense cores and teams just fits. You know, not necessarily with a traditional cycle game, but their ability to move the puck and find open space and... Uh, Kyle Connor with his tight turns and Ehlers with his passing ability and all three guys are really good finishers. I mean, 
the Flames, I know I know you're on record as saying the Flames had the best line in hockey last year. I think this Jets line, if they stay together, yep. it sounds like they will under Rick Bonus. They'd have the potential to put up those kind of numbers too. I mean, like, could it be a 50-40-30 split or somewhere in that vicinity? I mean, that's a lot of goals, but those two guys are definitely capable, especially with Nikolai Ehlers finally getting that shot in the first power play this year um, under Rick Bonus and Brad Lauer's uh, sort of uh, revamped Tampa system where there's a lot of motion and, and those guys will touch the puck mm-hmm. a lot. I look at the Winnipeg Jets and I wonder if after what happened last season, uh, coupled with the fact that the Stanley Cup now lives in the Central and St. Louis is a threat and Minnesota is a threat despite you know stumbling out of the gate here um, and Nashville is a threat, is all the pressure off in Winnipeg? Like, I know there's a lot of expectation, you know, you know loudmouth like me saying it's the best team in Canada uh, on paper before the first puck drop. Is, like, I'm, I'm curious, like, I know expectation will certainly always be high, but is there an element that pressure is off here for Winnipeg? I would say maybe there's, it's alleviated. I wouldn't say it's off completely, just based on where they are in their, in their window with, you know, the contracts of Shifley and, you know, the guys that have a chance to be UFAs in two years, but including Hellebuck and Wheeler and, that core group is kind of in transition yeah. a little bit. So I would say there's still urgency, even though there are not external expectations like we saw last year. That That's totally fair. But I also think you see that whole, um, they want to be better. They don't want to rerun of the, of the movie from last year, I would say. It's probably pretty fair also. Yeah. So I would say that the external pressure is off. But this is a team that, that expects to be battling for a playoff spot. And yeah, you're right. The gold standard resides in the central with the Colorado Avalanche. But the Jets don't want to be an also-ran. You know, nothing worse than the mushy middle. So, I mean, if you don't want to play Colorado mm-hmm. in the first round, you need to get one of those top three spots and not be a wild-card team. So, I do think it will help them in some regards, but uh, they want last year to be the anomaly, right? I mean, they want to sort of do something similar to what Calgary did after the tough year in the North Division. But, you know, the Jets didn't bring in a break home, and, uh, you know, a guy that had won. So, it's kind of a mixed bag for me, Jeff. I think the, the pressure is alleviated, but I still think that this group wants to show that they, last year was was the kind of mystery, and they expect to be a, you know, a team that's in the thick of things. And when you have a goalie that's elite like Connor Hellebuck, you can be in the mix as long as sure. your top guns are performing. Uh, the goalie is the key. The goalie is always the key. Um, let me ask you about Cole Perfetti. First of all, I love this kid. Uh, I think that that line uh, with uh, with him and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Blake Wheeler can be real special. Like the top nine, like looks like or top six rather, looks really fun uh, for the for the Winnipeg Jets. Your thoughts on what you've seen from Cole Perfetti camp to game one? Impressive, Jeff. I mean, it obviously was a tough ending to the season last year. That you know hard hit from Jamie Alexiak knocked him out for the rest of the yep. season and. You know, and the back injury that kind of flared up on him uh, during the recovery and the rehab. So uh, I love the fact that he played at the uh, Young Stars tournament. You know, guys who are guaranteed to be in the team, they don't often play in Penticton. Oh, yeah. uh, I love the fact that he got a couple games to get, get his body loose, played five preseason games. Uh, and he's really shown that he left no, no doubt in mind that he would take that job and be capable. Uh, I like his first game. Uh, he's such a good passer, but the underrated part for me about Cole is two things. He can really shoot it, got a great release, and he's defensively sound for a young player. That's usually the thing that they have to teach the most. Cole's, because of his, you know, the word processor and his hockey intelligence, uh, he's done a nice job defensively, and I think that, you know, having a big, powerful centerman like Dubois and a big, strong guy like Blake Dealer who can distribute mm-hmm. the puck, I think it's a great fit for that line. And I expect him to have a really solid year. I mean, it's super interesting. I mean, some people wondering, you know, could Cole get 50 points? I mean, to me, I always kind of caution on that front. I'm not saying he can't. He certainly has the capabilities. But, I mean, I think Mark Shifley had 15 goals and 34 points as a 20-year-old in his first four seasons. So, it's just asking a lot. But yeah. that's not to say he can't do it because of all the qualities that he, he brings to the table. And they're surrounding him with really good players. Let me, uh, let me close on this one. Uh, we opened up by talking about Mason Marchman. Tonight's Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Dallas Stars. This is a huge week early uh, for Winnipeg with some really challenging games. Dallas, Colorado, Vegas, and then the Maple Leafs on Saturday. What are your thoughts on the Dallas Stars? I mean, I've been real impressed with what I've seen so far. From I mean, it's it's different. It's, it's more up-tempo. A lot of the offense you know, starts with the back end, and Peter DeBoer's teams are always... 
you know, uh, trying to create offense off second and third chances. His philosophy is always, you know, playoff goals or scored on rebounds. Let's score our goals off rebounds. Your thought on what you've seen from Dallas so far this season? Yeah, I love Nero Haskinen. Uh, he's a guy that I have a great earn, earned a great appreciation for watching uh, during that 2019 series against the St. Louis Blues. I mean, this is a guy who's going to, you know, we know it's tough with Makar and Yossi and, and the like to those guys, but I think it's a guy who could have a uh, Norris in his future. Uh, I love what he brings to the table. It's yep. a great opportunity with him, with, with one of your you know, favorites, John Klingberg, moving on to Anaheim, at least for the time being. Uh, we spoke to Nero quickly. He loves the opportunity to, to get that extra ice time. The, the word is said, I mean, the best part about the superstar like Haskin, and all he cares about is winning. He doesn't care about putting up 70 points. He wants the team to win. And uh, I, I love the way that they're, they're trying to diversify the attack, right? So that's that's important with, with Marchman coming in. They're going to need some depth scoring. Obviously, they really leaned on that line, uh, top line, a lot last year. And another one of your favorites, Wyatt Johnson. Hurdy's had a really nice start here, too. So uh, I like their team a lot. I know a lot of people are thinking they might dip, but I honestly think that they've got a chance to be really special, especially, you know, Tyler Sagan has another good year. I mean, he's coming back from the injury. I think he's going to be feeling a lot better. Uh, I expect them to be one of the playoff teams, especially, again, you talk about elite goal team. Jake Odger took a real big leap last year. And he's the kind of guy that can propel teams right into the middle of the mix here. So I like Dallas's team, and I'm excited to see how this matchup goes this week. Winnipeg Jets, Dallas Stars, one of nine on the board this evening. Ken, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the skate, and uh, we'll check back soon. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Have a great weekend, Jared, my man. Thank you. There he is, uh, the great Ken Weeb, who covers the Winnipeg Jets for sports. I do like Dallas. I really do, and Sagan looks healthy. Mason Marchment looks real good with the Dallas Stars. You know, Ken just mentioned Wyatt Johnson a second ago, uh, rookie, uh, first-round pick, Windsor Spitfires. I don't know that he's going to last the entire season. You know, maybe he gets the nine-game treatment sent to the Royal Juniors and then back to Mark Savard in Windsor. I don't know, but he looks real good, and they have a real good player right now. They can't get on in the lineup in Riley Demiani. Uh, who's playing in the American Hockey League. Jake Ottinger, by the way, gets a start to, tonight for the Dallas Stars as they face off against the Winnipeg Jets. Coming up in Hour 2, he is the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. He is Bruce Cassidy. But joining me next is the host and star of Monday Night Hockey, the great David Amber. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up at the bottom of it, Bruce Cassidy, Vegas Golden Knights head coach. Vegas, a perfect 3-0, the hottest team in the NHL. Discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, A couple of matchups tonight on the debut of Monday Night Hockey. Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Arizona Coyotes and then very much looking forward to Sidney Crosby playing against his childhood favorite team. It's always good watching the Penguins face off against the Montreal Canadiens. It'll be fantastic to watch a brand new program this evening. It is Monday Night Hockey. It is David Amber alongside Cassie Campbell, Pascal, Anson Carter, and Keith Yandel, DA, joins me now. How are you doing today, Dave? Doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. First of all, congrats on the new show. Very much looking forward to it. And maybe without revealing too many state secrets, I know this is going to be a a different looking and different sounding program. How much can you tell us about what you guys have cooked up tonight? Uh, Yeah, no real secrets here. I mean, I think think the whole idea of the show, I mean, it's great. We're really excited about it. It's called Rogers Monday Night Hockey. And it's going to be a show driven by opinion, driven by debate, driven by conversation. And we're really excited. I think the thing that I'm most excited about is it's a true, it's a player's panel, right? Like these are three, uh, you know, athletes who've, you know, risen so incredibly high. Keith Yandel, the all-time Ironman, right? 989 games straight played. Anton Carter, a world junior champ, a two-time world you know, a championship gold medalist, including the, the gold medal winning game and 200 goals in the NHL. Cassie Campbell-Pasquale is the highest honor you could have bestowed upon you as a Canadian. She's a member of the Order of Canada, and she's obviously a two-time Olympian. She'll be a Hall of Famer eventually, hopefully sooner than later. She certainly has the cri- criteria and, and should be there already. So uh, it's incredible to, to kind of be able to pick their brains and look at the game through the lens of 
professionals who understand what's going on on the ice and and really dig deep with them. And also, I, I think they're great personalities. And I'm really excited for this opportunity for Keith Yandel uh, specifically. We know what Cassie Campbell, Pascal yeah. can do. We know what Anson Carter can do. But Keith, this is a new platform for him. He's a very affable guy. We, we went and had some, some dinner last night after we did a little bit of run-throughs. And he's just got a great personality, very interesting, uh, engaging. He can analyze the game, too, as you know. But I just think that we're going to have a really great mix of, of analysis uh, and personality. And it's just going to be one of those shows that hopefully people want to gravitate to. And one of the good things, Jeff, we have the matchups, too. We have, tonight we have both the Leafs and the Habs. And every single Monday, Canadian teams are featured. So, you know, we have, I think, almost five times the Flames, the Oilers, the Jets, the Sens, et cetera, the Canadians. So whoever your team is, you're going to have an opportunity to see them highlighted and featured on Monday night. Uh, that's outstanding. I, I, I can't wait for it. Um, did you talk to Keith about his love of Broadway and Broadway show tunes? <laughs> I haven't got there. You know more than I do. Uh, I'll be bringing oh, that up get tonight. There. Then. Get I... there. He'll do, he'll do it. He'll, he'll oh, do it. He loves fantastic. it. He loves it, D.A. Oh, that's right. I like Broadway, too. I've seen a few great shows. I don't know about the, the show tunes, per se, but I know he loves the golf. We got into that quite a bit, <laughs> and he's down in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, you know, he's already complaining. If he's like, what's with the traffic in Toronto? I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> uh, I was like, go. getting used to it, you know. But um, but it was fun. It, it'll be – I'm really excited for this uh, situation, the opportunity. And, and I think the bottom line is it's it's going to be de- debate and opinion, but we're going to hopefully do it in a fun and, and fast and different manner. So here's my question then, DA. Which mm-hmm. of your three panelists, Cassie, um, Keith Yandel, Anson Carter – which of the three do you think would be most prone to writing your phone number down and putting it up on the screen? <laughs> uh, that would be Anthony Stewart, none of the above. Oh, my God. Did you see that? Did you see that? Oh, yeah, dude. It's great. It's, fed to, it's, it's one of our favorite stories around the shop now. Oh, my putting God. Up your, I mean, you have so, – so for people that don't know, like David is so well-prepared. Like so many of us just, you know, f- fly in and, and, you know, go on nothing other than, you know, mildly decent looks and shallow charisma. David prepares like <laughs> nobody else. And he has this like ginormous binder that he carries with him on notes from every team. And it's constantly getting updated, constantly getting refreshed. Like, DA, I got to give you full respect. Like you prep, man. Like David well, really does the prep work you, going into a broadcast. You. And it's got his phone number. Hold on, hold on. Okay, his okay. phone number's at the bottom of his binder. And so Stewie holds holds it up like hey look da's da's ready for monday and his phone number's on the binder. <laughs> he tweets it so out. Sure, how many how many texts did you how many texts did you get oh my god then i started getting these random texts hi it's uh bob i just want to let you know your personal information's out and i'm like oh my god what is take going on take it down Stewie. Uh, how quick funny. did you get to Stewie to take it down uh well it's, the very first person reached out to me actually is james Duffy. he's like uh hey bro uh your phone number and address and everything <laughs> out there on the I was like, what? And uh, so, anyhow, right away, we got it taken. It wasn't, it was, it was one of those moments. But, but, but just so we get, hold on, just so we get back, I want clarification on this. I do prepare, but I prepare out of necessity. You and Elliot have these incredible memories. You know, you know Elliot brings up conversations he had 10 years ago about this person in this circumstance, and he remembers every last you know, minutia detail, and you're the same way. Like, you guys have more uh, wealth of knowledge in your pinkies than I have in my whole body. So what I have to essentially do is I got to no, put everything... You want to know the secret, DA? You want to know the secret to all of it? I learned this really, I learned this really, really early in my career. If you're not sure about something, say it loud. <laughs> and everyone will just believe that because you said it loud, you really know what you're talking about. That's been the secret to my entire career. If you're not sure of something, say it loud, DA. Keep, keep fooling them. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, I am one of those prepared guys. So just because I do feel like I better know what the heck's going on. And there's so every year, like look at it this year, 10 coaches changing locations, right? And there's so many yeah. big storylines like... Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of milestones for coaches coming up as well, which is really interesting. Boudreaux's still looking for his 600 t- tonight. But it's just all these guys change location. Mm-hmm. And I kind of try and shut my brain off uh, when it comes to hockey a little bit in the summer. I, I just, I'm not taking in the information and eating it up, um, you know, 24-7. 
uh, maybe the way you and Elliot are, even in, in July and August, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm going to do some other things. So when I get back into it in early September, it's like, all right, I need to kind of backtrack and figure it all out. And this is just the easiest way for me to do it. Well, then, then I'm I'm curious too because you know I know what interests me, but like what in, coming off of the uh, coming off of the summer where there was a lot of change, and you mentioned the 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 ten coaches, uh, ten new coaches with new teams, and we're going to talk to one a little bit later on with Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, outside of that, and player movement and big stories, like what what really resonates for you early in the season? Uh, well, there's so many interesting storylines. It's hard to just pick one or two. You know, the big storyline that I, uh, and I've been hammering this for the, you know, nine years now that Rogers has had the rights in the three years before that when I was at Hockey Night. Like, when is the Canadian team going to rise up and win the Stanley Cup? I still think that's a great storyline. I think it's a very pertinent storyline because, you know, if you're to go through the top four or five teams in the league uh, and look at the Stanley Cup odds, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, their teams still surface in that group, you know? So I'm wondering if, if big yeah. picture on a macro level, is this a year that one of the Canadian teams can rise up? It's been 30 years, unbelievably, that, you know, we've kind of loaned the cup to the States. And when is a Canadian team going to rise up and, and take it back for the country? Um, but there's a ton of littler storylines, you know, about specific players and how they're going to perform, not just teams and, and different fits and what teams are looking to do, um, you know, and teams on the rise, teams on the decline. You know, there's a lot of intriguing teams. I heard you say a couple shows ago, Detroit is a team. Oh, no, you said New Jersey. Sorry, you said New Jersey is a team that's yeah. kind of under your watch. And I would say that team for me is Detroit. I just really like the moves they made. I realize how tough the Atlantic is. But I think they've, they've done so much to solidify a team that we didn't talk about at all. They had the, you know, the Mo Sider and, and Lucas Raymond. That was a really nice storyline last year. But that's all it was, was a bit of a storyline. Can this team be a team that can really make some inroads? And is Steve Eisenman starting to assemble a, a team like he did in Tampa that could, you know, in a couple of years, be a real Stanley Cup contender i'm wondering if we're if this is the year we're going to start talking about detroit as that team and buffalo is another team that catches my eye i don't think they're there yet but they're intriguing to me right the youngest team in the nhl but with so many good parts think about how feared that blue line is going to be in two years um you know yeah. owen power and darlene and samuelson like they have the makings of like a formidable back end they, they clearly obviously need to get the goaltending, you know, to a, a more comfortable place. But I really like some of the parts in Buffalo, and I'm wondering if this is the year that that hockey market finally can start to feel good about things. It's been such a, a rough ride the last decade plus for them. So there's a number of storylines, but those are some of the other sort of team-oriented storylines that I'm looking at. So a couple of things there. One, uh, I think you're bang on about Detroit, and Elliot and I were talking about this on the on the podcast. Like the the good thing if you're a Red Wings fan right now, well, a few things. Uh, but one of the big ones is, you know, you've you've started the season out great. You've beaten Montreal. You've beaten New Jersey. Now you might look at that and say, well, you know, they didn't knock off any of the heavyweights. They didn't like march into Colorado and you know take a take a big win in regulation away from them. But if you're Detroit, like you have to you have to beat these teams that you have to beat. Like you have to dine out on on teams that are either in your vicinity or lower than you. Because if you don't beat the Montreals and you don't beat the New Jerseys, then don't even talk to me about the the teams that are above them. So like that's a to me that that's a that's a real plus. The other one, and this is one of the reasons why. And man, what a what a move he pulled off between his legs on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. Elmer Soderblom. Mm-hmm. Michael Rasmussen, Oscar Sundquist. Sundquist is, I was mentioning off the top, he's the squirt on the line. He's only six foot three. Rasmussen six six, and Soderblom is six foot eight. This is, I think, the nickname they're going with is the Redwood Line, which is fantastic. <laughs> this is a. Uh, like if I'm watching Detroit, uh, as much as I you know, you want to watch Cider, you want to watch Raymond, etc. I want to watch these big lumberjacks. Yeah, I I love the moves. I, I really just think Steve Eisman said. I've, I've waited long enough because he got there and he was admittedly, he's like, I don't like this roster. It was pretty clear. He wanted to, to move a large majority of the roster and he, and he did just that, but, you know, adding Huso in that and alongside Nadelkovic, uh, you have a pretty, you know, stable, if, not sensational, but stable one, two punch there in that. And then you go out and you get some guys to compliment those young players, right? Like, is there any guy in the league as underrated, you know, as a David Perron, honestly, like he's just, 
he goes about his business. He scores his 25 to 30 goals. He plays on the power play. He scores big goals at the most pivotal times. You know, they, they add guys like him and Kopp and Sherrod, and I just sort of said to myself, wow, they, they've done a really nice job of insulating some of those younger guys. And then you talk about the size they have now as well, and that's a whole other element. So I, I think uh, Detroit is definitely moving in the right direction. I think there's sort of a handful of seven or eight teams. You know, you look at Anaheim, you look, I mentioned Buffalo, you mentioned New Jersey, and we're talking about Detroit. And there's just a whole kind of grouping of teams there that have meandered through this, you know, the league for the last handful of years for different reasons. Which of those teams is going to jump up? Which of those teams is going to maybe be like the Los Angeles Kings of last year? That, you know, I, I didn't think the Kings were going to make the playoffs, and they came within a, a game of knocking off Edmonton and getting to the second round of the playoffs. So yeah. there's this whole group of teams that I kind of go, hmm, really want to keep an eye on them and, and what are those teams that are ready to make a legitimate jump and and become playoff contenders and start to make some noise okay so you and elliot are degenerate gamblers we know that so <laughs> let me ask let me ask you this one da um because you mentioned david perron a second ago now david perron mm-hmm. always ends up in st louis always like that's the story like he ends <laughs> up in st louis what's the over under on david perron being a st louis blue on trade deadline oh man well Listen, never say never, but he, did, he signed a two-year deal. So you would like to think he is wanting to stick around in Detroit and they're wanting to have him. But if the price is right, you never say never. And what is he made three stops at St. Louis at this point? I think it's been three stops, right? Yeah. It's yeah and so, he's so comfortable there and he's so productive there. And everyone likes playing with him. He's the kind of guy you have great confidence yeah. in and he attracts great line mates because they want to play with him. And uh, agreed. You don't ask me. You know, you better talk to his agent, uh, Alan Walsh, I believe, is his agent, and, and he'd probably give you the skinny there. But, uh, you know, if Detroit isn't in the playoff hunt, I mean, that's probably, you know, not a bad scenario. You know, Perron at this stage in his career, he probably wants to scoop up another Stanley Cup ring, and, and I'm sure he'd be willing to go back to St. Louis if the dollars could, could uh, work themselves out, and maybe they will at trade deadline. Who knows? Here's one of the things I love about David Perron. Um, so he grew up a huge fan of Alex Kovalev and everything about like the gear that he bought, the gear that he used, like the way that he played, like the skill set. Like, do you remember when Kovalev came out with that skills DVD and it was like, you know, shooting pucks into baskets, using one hand and all that. And we all know how great Kovalev, uh, Kovalev is. I just love David Perron because it seems as if his entire career, he's like tried to play like Kovalev. And you remember how great Kovalev was. You know how hard that is to try to play like Kovalev? And it's like, he wants to look like him. He wants to play like him. Like, it is remarkable how much this guy loves Alex Kovalev. I would say the biggest difference that I think of when I think of Perron and Kovalev is Kovalev always left you wanting more. He was one of the most talented guys in the league, but somehow wanted, left you wanted, you know, wanting more. And, of course, he yeah. had the legend if where Keenan wouldn't let him back on the bench, right? Like, oh, you want to take a, a minute 40 shift? Okay, let's go for a three-minute shift. Let's go for a five-minute shift. Um, you know, I, I, Kovalev was so absolutely skilled. Remember, what was the moment? It was in the uh, playoff series. Of course, you'll remember this. Playoff series versus Boston. What happened yeah, there? When huh? he, yeah, when he, do- when he dove and, uh, and Burns wouldn't, yeah. even send, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't even send a trainer out for him. <laughs> Yeah, so he always, I, I, you know, David Perron, I, I view as a bit more of an honest player um, and maybe a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say he's as skilled as Kovalev. I would say he's just way more um, consistent uh, in respects than Kovalev. But it's funny, if you're going to model your True. game after someone, Kovalev would be a great person to model because, boy, that guy had skill through the roof. He did. You know, it's funny. I asked Mike Keenan about that that marathon shift that he kept Kovalev out for. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, why am I like anyone else? Like, why did you keep him out there that long? Like, don't you get the message after like three or four minutes? <laughs> he goes, yeah, it would have only been like three minutes, but the guy scored. I'm not going to come <laughs> back to the bench after scoring and sit down. It's like, I think it was against the Nordiques. It's like Kovalev scored. And I'm like, I'm not letting him come to the bench. Screw that. Get back out there. I don't want to see you back until your tongue is hanging. <laughs> your tongue is hanging. Oh, man. But that's to your point. Like when, like DA, like, you know, like when Kovalev wanted to play and he's like, okay, I feel like scoring now, he would just go and yeah. do it. But I mean, you know, here's one yeah. that you mean, listen, listen to Gretzky talk about, you know, the skill of Kovalev. 
Mm-hmm. You know, listen to players that have played with him, played against them. Like, I used to always, when he was in Montreal, I used to always love going to Montreal Canadiens practice just to watch Kovalev. Like, just watch Kovalev play, like, a simple keep-away game. Datsuk was the same way. Loved watching play Datsuk, uh, Datsuk play keep-away in practice because it's fascinating, the body angling and how you couldn't lift up his stick. Like, Kovalev was such a next-level player, but you're right, yeah, you know, the career's all wrapped up and you're just saying, like, there could have been so much more. Like, he could have been, like, seriously, DA, he could have been one of the greats. We could have yeah, been talking he, about him because he had that skill set amongst the greats of all time. All yeah, time. and as you, as you said, you talk to other players and they have nothing but, like, oh, my God, that guy was so talented. It was, like, almost annoying to some of yeah. the other pros because it, it seemed effortless to him. The amount of effort and training you'd have to put in, he can kind of walk out there, and it's seemingly he didn't have to, to strain himself to that level. Uh, pro- make me a promise here. Put in your mental notes. Next time uh, you interview Stewie or have him on the show, uh, ask him about uh, Pavel Datsuk. I don't know if you know this whole story about a shift he had against Datsuk when he was a young player. No, give us give us the uh, give us the Coles notes. Well, no, no. I want Stewie will tell it much better than I will, so it's something to just bear in mind. Next time, I don't want to. All right. Story he can fully tell it, and it's it's pretty funny. So just about a shift he had against Datsuk. <laughs> I'll leave it he's, at that. Uh, he's broken a lot of anger uh, ankles. See Couture, <laughs> comma Logan. That may be one of the more famous ones uh, by Pavel Datsuk. All right, uh, tonight at Rogers Monday Night Hockey, we have the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Arizona Coyotes, the Pittsburgh mm. Penguins, and the Montreal Canadiens. Let's let's get a couple of thumbnail previews here for both. Eric Schalgren gets the start uh, for mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs tonight. We all know about what happened with Matt Murray on, on Saturday, and that's a, man, you feel so bad for that guy. Um, although Ilya Samson, uh, I guess he's calling himself Samsonov now. It's no longer Sam Sonoff. I guess when you cross the border, you don't come up on the second syllable in Russian anymore, but I digress. <laughs> it's Samsonov now. Um, what do you look for in this one? Like I, I, We all know what the plan is for Arizona. I was saying to Elliot, I feel really bad for uh, Carl Vermelka because in two games he's faced, I think, like four shots shy of 100. Uh, this guy's going to see a lot of pucks all season long. Mm-hmm. What do you look for in this one? Well, if I'm a Leafs fan, I look for a blowout. Not, no more this 3-2 squeaking out you know, goals in the last three minutes, et cetera. Like, you know, if you see what Pittsburgh's done in their first two games, blowing out teams, you know, 6-2 and 6-2, and, and albeit, I think you pointed out, they didn't play high-caliber teams. It doesn't matter. If you're a, if you're a high-powered yeah. offense like the Leafs are supposed to be, then you know what? It shouldn't come down to can Shalgren make a big save in the third period or, or what happened in that, you know, if he lets in a bad one in the first period. It shouldn't come down to that. It should be like we are a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. The Arizona Coyotes are a team with Connor Bedard aspirations. And, you know, they both are on the same agenda. Let's get blown out. I'm not saying that Arizona is going there to lose, but they certainly can accept <laughs> the fact that the expectations are different uh, for them. I mean, they have one even strength goal in two games. The Arizona Coyotes do right. They have they have a sh- they have a three power play goals and a shorthanded goal. Right. They've allowed twelve goals and they've received pretty good goaltending. It could have been more than that. Uh, it's a very young team, and they've they've traded away you know a lot of the more veteran players, and they're in a different situation than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they're also starting their season on this ridiculous. They're playing twenty of their first twenty four games on the road. Are the Coyotes right? Like this is a very yeah. tough situation to put on a on a team. You know, despite all the other factors, just that alone in itself is enough to say, wow, they're going to go into many arenas, you know, as the uh, prohibitive underdog for the first two months of the season. So if I'm the Leafs who've been sitting at home and on this three-game homestand or it'll be a four-game homestand, they play Dallas on Thursday, like it should be, like this should be our night to break out. Matthews hasn't broken out yet. Marner hasn't really broken out yet. Let's see some, let's see some of that magic and let's see it tonight. I wonder if, you know, because listen, this is only October 17th and already it's it's challenging for the Arizona Coyotes. And we all know the score. Mm-hmm. I wonder if at some point this season they become like the ultimate lovable underdogs around the NHL where you just can't help but pull for them because the season has gone so horribly off the rails. Like you think about like the, the 74 Washington Capitals who oh, didn't win a road game until like honestly, DA, they, so the, the, the great story is... And it was, they, I think they finally ended up winning one. It was either against the California Seals or the Los Angeles Kings. They finally mm-hmm. win a road game after, like, I think it was in February. And they're so excited. They take the garbage can 
out of the dressing room, dump all the garbage out of it, and go back onto the ice and do a lap like it's the Stanley Cup. Like they've just like they just feel so they finally won a road game in a in an abysmal season. I, I wonder if they become like the ultimate lovable underdogs this season because we know that management has one plan, but you can't tell players to lose. Like players aren't programmed to go out there no. and and take this thing off the road. I, I wonder if they become the lovable underdogs at some point this season. You know, that very well could be the narrative that follows the team. And I don't, and, and in my comments earlier, they're not going out there to be blown out. I wasn't trying to say that. I'm just trying to say, if I'm a, from the league's perspective, this is an opportunity to really maybe show some, you know, flex a little bit of your, your muscle against the team that clearly is at a different stage. And, you know, 11 Arizona or 25 or younger, a lot of these guys are just cutting their teeth into the NHL or, you know, have been on three or four different teams in a short period of time and trying to just find themselves in the league as everyday players. Uh, Arizona could take on that role. The only thing I would say is, you know, and you talk to a lot of players, I know a lot of players are a bit disgruntled about how this has played out in Arizona, quite simply because their salaries are tied to league revenues. And, you know, since 2009, it's been a complete money pit uh, in Arizona, and it's costing the players money. And, you know, now they're going to, and I think they will sell out that 5,000-seat arena, uh, arena, mullet arena, but it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a college arena. Uh, and the atmosphere might be fun. It might be good because it's 5,000 intimate, you know, seats, et cetera. But it's not going to create the revenue that, quite frankly, this franchise in another location could, could create. And it's costing the players money. So I'm not sure they'll ever have that exact label of lovable losers, I think there's definitely be some people sort of wanting them to succeed, but it's been it's been such a long journey, and it's just seemingly. It, it, I think a lot of people are just still kind of dumbfounded that the league hasn't found whether it's Houston or whether it's Quebec City or wherever it hasn't sort of said, you know, there's just better alternatives. But for some reason, we're going to just keep kind of banging our heads against the wall in Arizona. A, c- a couple of things there. Um, I I'm kind of surprised that the Players Association didn't didn't voice complaint about it more publicly. Not that they could do anything. We know the PA was was powerless to to really affect any change here, but at least publicly, you know, come out and make a statement saying the players deserve better than this, that this is mm-hmm. that, that this is awful for the players. Um the other one, like I I don't like piling on. I think I'm like you. I know Elliot's the same way as well. Like on uh, around, I was actually on trade deadline day when Jack McBain went from Minnesota to Arizona. Um, I got a, uh, and he was still playing college hockey at that point. I got a, uh, I got a text uh, from one assistant general manager uh, on a team. And all he said was, is that a trade or is that a college transfer? I'm like, oh, geez, like you guys are are ruthless. But I think I think your point's a good one. Like, this is a really tough situation for everybody. I know Arizona's trying to listen. They're 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 fighting tooth and nail to get the the new rink in Tempe, and we think that's going to be a blessing for this organization. Mm-hmm. Should that happen, getting there is going to be awful. Getting there is going to be awkward. They're going to be the the brunt of a lot of jokes, specifically because they're in the the Connor Bedard sweepstakes here, and that's really obvious. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of surprised that at the end of it, like no one from the player, like the, the players' association, didn't really push back publicly on it and and stand up for the players. I think you raise a great point. Like this is this is tough for everyone in the PA here. It's a tough situation. And and again, I, you hate to, as you said, pile on. I mean, there's people, you know, Bill Armstrong is, is doing everything in his power. You know, he's doing things right as the GM there. It's just a very difficult situation and it's out of his control much of it, right? Like they're doing a $20 million yeah. to the ASU rink. It's not like they're not putting some money in and not trying to make, you know, things better. It's just, maybe it was it's such a tough starting point. I just don't have, a ton of faith that it's all going to be done in, in due order as quickly as, you know, the fan base there would like, and as fans across the league and as the players would like. So it, it's, it's tough, you know, I, I think maybe at the, there is maybe a rainbow at the end of all this, if they end up in Tempe or, or who knows, but, and it, certainly if they land a Connor Bedard, that could change the whole trajectory of the, of the franchise. We've seen that, right. We've seen players, yes. you know, Talk That's to true. the Pittsburgh Penguins. Without Lemieux and Crosby, Pittsburgh probably doesn't have a team right now. Um, so a single player can have that type of impact. And, 
don't discount that. But it's just it's been just so many missteps and you know so many problems with that franchise. And then you know you travel a lot, I travel a lot, and you hear fans go, "Oh man, I've traveled here from blank because we don't have a hockey team. I wish we had a hockey team in our." backyard and you just know that there's these great fan bases uh that would be dying to have that opportunity and and haven't had the ability to have a team and yet arizona in many respects has been negligent in, in some levels with their franchise not necessarily the, the existing uh ownership but in previous uh years and it just it just hasn't worked for a while now you know it's interesting when i was doing hockey night in canada radio about a million years ago on on sirius um mm-hmm. I talked to Gary Bettman, and this is when, this is when Arizona was in the throes of, um, you know, bankruptcy, and on a consistent basis, David, you'll love this poll. We would hear plenty about Judge Redfield T. Bomb, <laughs> and uh, all all types of characters. And we all know about Jim Balsillie, you know, trying to get the, the 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 trying to grab the team, etc. And I remember asking the commissioner, I said at what point do you give up on a market? Like at what point is a market done? Like what point, and from your point of view, is a market over? And he said, it's quite simple. When nobody, want, when, when nobody wants to own the team in that market anymore, then it's done. Mm-hmm. And he goes, in Arizona, there's still people that want to, that still want to own the team. And mm-hmm. so therefore, he's still going to keep fighting for it. Anyhow, um, very much looking forward to tonight, uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, David Amber, the host, along with Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Anson Carter, uh, and Keith Yandel makes his debut for Sportsnet tonight. DA will be tuned in. Thanks, pal. I really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. And, and congrats on that great tour, by the way. I heard it was a lot of fun uh, doing all the different cities. Fridge was giving me the whole rundown. So congrats on all the 32 thoughts uh, success, bud. It was awesome. Uh, the fans were happy. The sponsor was happy. So we uh, were happy with it. Uh, it was a great success. We loved it. Thanks, DA. We'll talk soon. Have fun Take tonight. Care, Thanks. There he is, David Amber, uh, the host of... of um, Rogers, uh, Monday Night Hockey. Tonight, it is the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Arizona Coyotes. It is also the Montreal Canadiens and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, we'll pause, step away, come back. Bruce Cassidy uh, joining me. He's the head coach of the Red Hot Vegas Golden Knights. I know there's big games ahead starting Tuesday against Calgary. Right now, they're enjoying a record of 3-0. and Things are looking good in Nevada. Bruce Cassidy joins me next. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Jeff Merrick along with you. Uh, glad you could join us today. Do not forget, uh, tomorrow on the broadcast, we'll be joined by St. Louis Blues General Manager Doug Armstrong and Dallas Stars Head Coach Peter DeBoer. Quickly, before we get to Bruce Cassidy, uh, NHL three stars of the week have been announced. They are in order. Uh, first star, Sidney Crosby, Pittsburgh Penguins, shock. Uh, Connor McDavid, Edmonton Oilers, shock. Uh, third star of the week, Jake Ottinger, netminder for the Dallas Stars. Uh, there is no hotter team in the NHL right now than the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they sit at a perfect 3-0. and And here to tell us why it's all about the coaching is their bench boss, Bruce Cassidy. Bruce, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, so this is all coaching, right? Three and O. This is all about uh, uh, about Bruce Cassidy now. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> anyway, found ways to win, so here we are. <clears throat> well, listen, it's been uh, it, it's been impressive, and I, and I know the goaltending has been excellent. Um, you know, Logan Thompson the first couple of games in Aiden Hill, uh, in the game against Seattle were great. Uh, Jack Eichel with three points and. Jonathan Marcheseau with three goals. Petrangelo has been good. Chandler Stevenson's been good. Uh, I know it's a big week on the horizon. We're going to get there. But when you look at the the first three games for your squad, Bruce, what jumps to mind right away? Uh, balance. I think we've got uh, four excellent center icemen, so we can throw any line at any time. Uh, Homer Road. Mm-hmm. Um, feel confident that you know we're going to get strong defensive play. I think they're all really good. Um, and Jack has been really good defensively, closing 
um, in the D zone and winning puck battles. Um, you know, Carly's always been a good defensive player. Nick Y, you know, I didn't know that well. He's done a real good job anchoring the fourth line. And obviously, uh, Stevenson with Stone can play against anybody. So I think that that's a nice luxury for a coach to have. You don't have to worry about, you know, who's going over the boards and who's going into the face-off dot. So I think that's been a big strength. You know, this is, uh, I'm glad you got to Jack Eichel right away because, you know, this is you know, not exactly a secret. This is a huge, uh, huge season for Jack Eichel. You know, coming off the surgery last season, you know, missed the majority of the year. Jumping right back in is, uh, is challenging for, for anybody, even an NHL superstar. What were the nature of the conversations that you would have had with Jack in advance of this year's puck drop? Uh, what his expectation was from me uh, as a coach and, and I sort of painted a picture of my expectation of him as a, as a frontline center iceman, 200-foot uh, player, what we hope to get out of him in that regard and how we could build it together. I think we're relatively mm-hmm. both, uh, well, I'm real new to the organization. He's not that far in front of me. So <laughs> I thought we were going in together, you know, um, so let's make this work and how can we do that? So that was the topic of discussion without getting into specifics, just, you know, the expectation of how he could be like a Patrice Bergeron was for the Bruins, you know, how he could, you know, round out his game, but still hmm. be dynamic and, and offensive. Cause I mean, that's what Jack's been throughout his career um, and, and play winning hockey for us. And, and so we had to define what winning hockey was and we're still early on uh, into it, Jeff, but I think for the most part, Jack's bought, mm-hmm. not for the most part, he's bought in a hundred percent and um, hopefully we'll keep it that way. He looks great, Bruce. Like he he looks outstanding. Uh, I, I am curious about, you know, taking over a new team and 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 what it's like when, you know, you take over Vegas and there are some players like that have been there for a long time. You know, whether it's Marcia So, whether it's you know Carlson, whether it's Shea Theater. Like there are guys that have been there for for a long time. How difficult? Maybe it's easy. How difficult is it? You take over a team. How difficult is it to get players? to maybe not break what they were doing before, but just evolve their game and, and play for Vegas in a different way? Well, when you win, you know, that, that's the biggest, um, you know, point in how you're going to sell things. So we've gotten out of the gate here and found ways to win. We haven't been perfect by any means. Uh, I don't think anybody has at the just juncture of the season, but, you know, we're, we're playing winning hockey at the right time. So that is, is usually one of the first things that players will say, okay, it's working. We're getting wins. Um, and I think individually guys are getting opportunities to do what they do best, um, score goals and create offense. We're not stifling that part of it, but we're mindful of how we play without the puck. And I, and I think, uh, as I said, guys have, have bought into to that concept, and I don't think it's hurt us at the other end of the rink. Um, we're still generating. I don't think we finished nearly as well as we can early on. Um, so that's, that's, that's a good part for them. And And... You know what? Let's go through some adversity at some point. Might start this week. We have got good good teams on the horizon, and and see if you know if we stick with it. I think that that'll be another test for us. Yeah, you mentioned this week, and uh, I think hockey fans are all circling Tuesday, like right away. Okay, we're starting off the week with a really good, you know, Calgary Vegas game here. We're all looking forward to that one. Uh, you play Colorado on Saturday, and you play the Winnipeg Jets in in between those two. I'm curious, Bruce, like as a coach. How do you look at segments? Are you a five-game segment guy, ten-game segment, three-game, two-game? How do you how do you look at the schedule? Probably more ten. I think that's a big enough sample size where you can say, okay, where are we trending? What are we doing well? Uh, what's sticking out here? Mm-hmm. Of course, you know we're always in the moment, right? Like today, we're in Calgary practice, and our rush defense at times wasn't great in Seattle, so we're going to focus on it. But in general. Our overall game, we're going to look at after 10 games. Um, that, that's how I've done it. And certainly five is a, is a shorter sample size. I will take a look. But 10 overall, okay? I, I just think that's a good indicator um, of, you know, okay, what needs to be fixed, um, you know, and, and how we're going to go about it and get it done in over time. So uh, that's how I've always done it. The analytics guys, I guess maybe tilted me that way in Boston because they would give me a package after every 10-game segment, so maybe it just grew out of that. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious how, um, you know, some, some coaches want uh, a hand-to-glove relationship with the, the analytics crew. Others want to keep them at, at arm's length. Where are you at on that? 
No, I, I, I think there's a lot of value in, in, in those numbers. Um, you know, what you define as valuable, I think, changes from team to team. Uh, I think you can get, you know, run down with it as well. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of different columns you can look at uh, and analyze it sure. to death, but I do think there's value. I, I really do. So I don't know where that puts me with the rest of, of, of the coaches or, or organizations, but I do value it. Um, and then take it uh, for us as a staff. I rarely bring it to the players. Um, I bring it to, to the players through our practices and our drills that we're doing and what we need to correct, but I don't jam them with numbers, um, you know, unless there's a player out there that really wants that feedback. But most of the time they, you know, they want more direct to find what do we need to do better? Let's work on it and get after it. You know, I like the, um, you know, Brian Burke once uh, told me right when we were working together uh, about his relationship with the analytics, and he said that this is the way that I, that I approach it. He said, the first thing I do is I identify either a player or a situation or something with my eyes, and then I call our analytics guys to make sure that my eyes aren't lying to me because my eyes can lie to me. How do you approach it, Bruce? Is it along the lines of how Berkey does it or a different way? Yeah, no, I think that's that's accurate. Uh, your eyes can lie to you, and I think analytics can lie to you too, Jeff, as well. There's some numbers in there you'll look at and go, I don't think so. I don't think we did that that well or, or um, you know, the opposite. We weren't that bad because um, I do believe there's areas in the game when, when you're looking at analytics, like say slot shots, for example, um, and you're looking at it like, boy, we seem to give up a lot, the expected goals, whatever. And then you look back at some of them are muff shots or, you know, they're curling rocks in at the net. They didn't get, you know what I mean? So they don't look dangerous. And then analytics yeah. will define it as dangerous. And then there's other ones that go the opposite way where, you know, you think you're really good and you're generating a lot of shots and they're all from the outside. So, I mean, I agree with Berkey in that regard. And, um, I think it works both ways. I really do. I think analytics can be misleading at times, and so can your eye test. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know, especially with ex- expected goals. Whenever I talk to – there's a, cu- a couple of teams that have uh, people in the analytics department, and whenever I bring up expected goals, they always go, like, we're past that. Stop with the expected goal. Like, we're – you guys are still back there on these public models. Like, expected goals. Like, just just start parking that, Jeff. Just start parking that. Um, let me ask you about goaltending uh, in, the, in the, the little bit that I have left with you here, Bruce. Um, you've gotten some really good performances from Logan Thompson. I thought that first period against L.A., Logan Thompson – was outstanding. Aiden Hill gave you great goaltending Saturday against Seattle. Do you have a thought or two on your net miners? Because I'll be honest, when you know word came out that it was going to be the season for Robin Leonard, there are a lot of people that said, uh-oh, Vegas is in trouble. Well, I mean, that was an initial reaction. Um, you got some unknowns in nets, right? Not too many people knew Logan Thompson. When I took the job, I didn't know him very well. I'll be very upfront with that. Um, and then you get to know him a little bit and what he did for the team and the trust they have in him, right, the way he finished last year. So that's the first thing that, that's always a positive. Does the team believe in the guy between the pipes? And they do with Logan. Uh, short sample size, albeit, but still. Um, Aiden Hill comes on board. Sean Burks, our goalie coach, worked with him a bit in Arizona, so he knows has some history. Felt he'd be a really good goaltender. His his strengths would fit our system and style of play. Uh, that one's still to be determined. He played very well in Seattle. We got him an early lead. That always helps, you know, a goalie settle in. Um, so, yes, I think there was some concern when, when Robin went down. Um, the goaltenders, the way we, we, we sort of packaged it to them was, listen, this is probably the best opportunity you're ever going to have to be number one in the National Hockey League. So let's, you know, let's have a good training camp. Yeah. Uh, we'll play well in front of you. That's, you know, our job as coaches to make sure that the players do that. And it's your job to, you know, keep us engaged, give us a chance to win. And, and I'll say this, they haven't given up a bad goal in, in three games. And uh, they've had pockets of the games where they've been exceptional. And then other times in the game, they've just made the saves they're supposed to. Um, I believe we have some, some good offensive weapons here that will score goals for them. So uh, they shouldn't have to mm-hmm. go out and steal us games on a regular basis. So that's kind of what's in front of them. So far, so good. And, and Brassois, who's been injured, is back skating. So he's another guy that'll be in the mix down the road. So um, we'll see how that's that good. plays out. Yeah. Uh, let me ask one, one final question because you were in, in Boston in the Eastern Conference for, for a number of years, like a, a really long run. Uh, coaching in the West now, you played against three Western Conference teams, the Kings, the Hawks, and the, and the Kraken. I know it's, again, you talk about small sample size. I'm going to ask you something about three games. Any appreciable difference 
in gameplay between the West and the East? Uh, I don't know. I don't know yet, to be honest with you. Um, uh, they're a little they're, uh, smaller, maybe, L.A. and Seattle, smaller teams that we've seen out in, in the East uh, so far. But, again, right. um, I think that'll change with Calgary, um, Colorado, and Winnipeg. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. ask me again next week. I will. Um, <laughs> but uh, th- that's probably the only the, the only difference. Um, and even that, it's, you know, I'm just spitballing here a little bit. <clears throat> sure. Uh, listen, Bruce, your team looks great. Uh, perfect 3-0 and after three games. A big game against Calgary. We all look forward to that one. And then Winnipeg and Colorado. Big week for your squad. Uh, best of luck. Keep it rolling. Looks, uh, looks good on you and the Knights. Thanks so much for doing this. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. There is uh, Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, victories over the Kings, the Hawks, and the Seattle Kraken. As we uh, bring in our producer, Matt Marchese, you know what was interesting about one of those games last week, the Chicago game specifically? That was, Matt Marchese, a perfect, like, I mean, ideal tank loss for Chicago. Oh, yeah. one nothing. Oh, yeah. You're in the game. It's still a competitive game, but you lose. Like, if you look at, there's some tank loss games that are just, like, ugly. It's like, oh, my God, this is awful. That was a good tank loss by the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, there's going to be a lot of those this year. And then they and then they could have well, had they hope, one. Well, there's, there, there, yeah, there's going to be losses. I just hope that they hope that they're, if you're going to lose, at least make it, you know, respectable. Don't just get blown out all the time. Well, they could have they could have had that same excuse the other night against San Jose, couldn't they? And they managed to oh, come yeah, back and win. So. That like, was an ugly one. What are you that doing? Was, that was ugly for San Jose, man. That was tough for San Jose. That was really tough for them. Well, you talked about what's uh, what's your on your mind, buddy, to wrap up the program today. Well, I put this out there on I can't remember if it was Saturday or I don't know. The weekends all meld together. Yeah. They're all busy, and I asked the question. Who is more comfortable with their goaltending situation right now? Toronto or the Edmonton Oilers? <laughs> like Jack Campbell. I love Jack Campbell, but man, that didn't look good the first two games. Nope. Has not had the best of all possible starts. And getting the hook when he did against the Calgary Flames was, uh, was, was it four goals on 11 shots? Yep. That was a tough one. That was a tough one for Jack Campbell. I mean, the thing about, the thing about, I mean, one is about performance and one is about injury. Now, the injury situation with Matt Murray is, well, we've seen this movie before. Like, what did we say coming into the season? A couple of things. Matt Murray is changing his style. He's going to, you, you hope for him and the Maple Leafs, he's going to continue that trend that he started, I guess, even a little bit before he went to AHL Belleville last year. But then certainly when he was there and then when he made his way back to the Ottawa Senators before getting injured, we said... The only problem that Matt Murray is going to have is the hospital bracelet. Well, yeah. guess what? The problem that Matt Murray has is the hospital bracelet. And you feel bad for guys because no one chooses that. No one, no one, no one chooses that. But Sam, uh, I, I keep defaulting to Samsonov because I'm so used to it now. But Samsonov, um, you know, looked real good so far for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll see. It's early, but so far Samsonov looks nice. We'll we'll see Shelgren tonight. So I would probably say. I'd feel better about myself if I was Toronto right now. Well, I'm I'm surprised that you went that way, but I mean, I guess we're gonna see what Stuart Skinner is gonna do because I I, th- I feel like he's gonna get a couple of starts upcoming here to give Jack Campbell a little bit of a rest because we've seen we've seen what happens when Jack Campbell can get on himself, which I I, I feel like oh, in yeah. a sense that is that's so true. Yeah, it's not it's not a good thing for Jack. He gets really down on himself, and and I'm assuming that that's going to change. You mentioned with Elliot today, talking about the Penguins. And when I saw that scoreline against Tampa Bay, I mean, I know Tampa started like this last year. This is the same kind of story as we saw at the beginning of last year, and it's going to be the same story again. Just get into the playoffs, and then we'll figure it out type thing. I know it'll be different. I get it. But my goodness, Pittsburgh looks good. Oh, boy, they look good. I know. The thing about the Penguins, I've always maintained. See, right now, Pittsburgh's playing hard. I've made this point for years because this team this team continues to prove it to me. So here's my thought on the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's remained the same forever. So this version of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Rust, Carter, all of them, Gensel, 
And even in the previous one that had like, you know, your Chris Kunis's as part of it, the Pittsburgh Penguins are a team that when they're working hard, they are elite. Mm -hmm. They are so good. But we've all seen what happens when the Pittsburgh Penguins, even just for a little bit, take the foot off the pedal. Like there are some teams out there, Matt, you've seen this, everyone listening or watching right now has seen teams like this before that can go through like like elite teams I'm talking about here. Colorado, for example, Tampa, that can surf through three or four games and get by, maybe dust a couple of teams, just surfing on skill. Like the work doesn't necessarily have to be there because the skill is so high. Think about Pittsburgh is if they don't work hard, as skilled as they are, and that's led by Crosby, and Malkin and Latang and go all the way down that hierarchy. They take the foot off. Man, we've seen the Penguins fall apart, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We've seen Pittsburgh fall apart, and it's always when they take the foot off, even a little bit. Some teams can do it. Pittsburgh's never been a team that can just surf on the skill. They're they're not built that way. And when they take the foot off, they they kind of take it into the ditch sometimes. Yeah, so Sidney Crosby now 19th all-time in league scoring. He just passed Doug Gilmore, 1,415 points. Next up on the list, Adam Oates, 1,420, and Brian Trotche, 1,425 yeah. to get to 17th all-time. He just consistently puts up... Elite numbers. Last year, he was banged up and still put up like, you know, 1.3 points per game. Sidney Crosby, watching him play, yeah. I, we should appreciate Sidney Crosby for what he is because, my goodness, he is so fun to watch. And I, I feel like sometimes we do kind of take for granted that Sidney Crosby is playing at the same time that we get to watch hockey. No, I know. It's totally true. See, the thing about Crosby now, and you mentioned those names and the milestones on the horizon – and it's different for every player. Like some people have the, oh, it's a 500-goal plateau. It's a you know 1,500 points or whatever. Like at a certain point in your career uh, as a hockey player, when you're like the Crosbys of the world, and I don't know where it is. So I have to really go back and look and, and think about it. You get into legacy territory. Mm -hmm. Like all the regular heavy lifting, things that get you into the Hall of Fame, like those are all done. And now it's, you know, how big do you want the legacy to become? Crosby's there. Yeah. You know, Ovechkin's there. He's got the, the, the Gretzky race. I don't know exactly where it is. Someone that follows Pittsburgh on a daily basis um, can tell me where it was. But somewhere along the way, Gretzky, or, uh, Crosby got into legacy time. Yeah. Where all you're doing is writing another chapter in the legacy of Sidney Crosby. Great stuff, Matty. Uh, thanks to all of our guests today. I want to thank Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. A reminder tomorrow, Doug Armstrong, GM of the St. Louis Blues, and also Peter DeBoer, head coach of the Dallas Stars. David Amber, uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey kicks off tonight. Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. And as always, we slum it to start with Elliot Friedman. Thanks for joining me today, either on the Sportsnet Radio Network or Sportsnet 360. Back tomorrow, noon Eastern.